This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. And welcome back to Jumping Bob Audio, a Joshi Pro Wrestling podcast. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I'm joined, as always, by Taylor Mainberg. How are you, Taylor? I'm good. For the first time in many weeks, you know, as we've been prepping for the show and the, on the last uh, few episodes, or maybe even before that, you know, there hasn't been a ton going on. But this week, I feel like there's almost too much going on. Uh, we have a lot to cover today on this show. We do. We're going to talk about a lot of wrestling for the first time in a long time. So, sounds like fun. I'm excited. It was there was a yeah, lot of good wrestling that we watched. There was a, a lot, a lot of good wrestling. So there's a lot of really fun stuff to talk about that I'm really looking forward to getting into. All right. If you want to get in touch with us, you can on Twitter at J Bomb Audio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at T A Mambo. You can subscribe to the show. Please do give us a rating and review a five-star rating. Of course, like all your favorite matches. That was a bad joke. Donate to the show. If you'd like redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. And make sure you check out Taylor was involved in a what? Five part series of articles. Yeah. Five part. Uh, yep. Okay. Tell us about it. Uh, it's a series of articles that I did with some people on voices of wrestling.com all about sort of uh, the up-and-coming class of wrestlers throughout the world of Japanese pro wrestling. So each day there is one uh, Joshi wrestler that I highlighted, talked a little bit about, and included some recommended matches. So definitely something to check out. It was super fun to do. It's gotten a great response. I think people are learning about wrestlers who maybe they hadn't seen a lot of or maybe haven't even heard of. So definitely check it out. Uh, and I think based on the response we've gotten and how much fun we had doing it, that it's very likely that there may be a part two or maybe many additional parts coming in this series. Who are some of the wrestlers you wrote about, Taylor? So I wrote about uh, Mei Saruga. I wrote about Haruka Umasaki. I wrote about Hanori Hana. Um, I wrote about um, Maria. So I wrote about a lot of, I tried to cover a lot of different promotions and also a lot of different uh, sort of, I, I don't know if types is the word, but a lot of different wrestlers in different sort of positions within their company. You know, Honori Hana is still very new, uh, has only wrestled a few matches. Maria is a little bit more experienced. May Saruga is a totally different one. So tried to get, tried to cover the whole gamut of sort of the younger class of wrestlers, which is very difficult because Joshi has a lot, a lot, a lot of really great young wrestlers. But I tried to give the people a sampling of really the five who I think are the best. And the the really synergistic thing, Taylor, is that's what we try to do on this show. 
cover a wide variety of Joshi Pro Wrestling. That's exactly right. Love it. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to have a lot of startup talk. If you're a stardom fan, you're going to like this episode because they have run four shows since we last talked with you all. So we're going to talk about all those and we'll talk about the five-star Grand Prix, the entrance in that were announced. So we'll talk about that. We have some Choco Pro to talk about. Seedling ran a Coroquin show. We're going to talk about that. Uh, there was a TJPW Coroquin and they announced the the bracket for the Princess Cup. So I don't think things are going to be slowing down, Taylor. Like next time we get on here, the five-star Grand Prix and the Princess Cup will be in full swing. Yes, we're only picking up speed. It seems looking ahead that August is going to be a very busy month for the world of Joshi Wrestling. Love it. Okay, let's, no time to waste. Let's get into it. We're going to start with the Stardom Coroquin Show on July 17th. Uh, we're going to go deep into this one because the other, the 723 and 724 shows, well, the 724 show, there's only one match on Stardom World so far, and the 723 show wasn't that notable of a show. And the 726 Coroquin, of course, just happened before we recorded and only one match is up so far. So we'll get into what we know. But stardom on July 17th. Uh, let's, let's start with the Wonder of Stardom title tournament matches, and then we'll go back to the beginning. That's what I want to do. I've decided. Sounds so, good. I'll follow you. All right. Beautiful. Wonder of Stardom title tournament. Uh, if you, if you kind of missed out on this, basically, uh, Arisa Hoshki, of course, retired. She had the white belt, so it's vacant. And Julia was the next, well, Natsuko Tora was going to be the next, was going to be a challenger at No People Gate. That match didn't happen. Julia was set up to be a challenger because she won the Cinderella tournament, and that match never happened. So they both had a pretty good claim to, uh, to challenge for the title. And then you basically had Tom Nakano say, well, Arisa is my tag team partner. I kind of want to like defend what she had. So she's involved. And then basically it felt like they just threw Konami in to make it four people. <laughs> and uh, we got these two matches to set up a final match, which would be on the 726 Korakuen show. So the first match was Konami versus Julia. And this was Julia won uh, with her, with a double glorious driver. Konami had uh, kicked out of two of them already, and then she did two in a row to finish her off. So what did you think of this match? Uh, I didn't think too much of it. I thought it started fairly slowly, and to me it felt largely like Julia trying to work a Konami-style match, and to me it never really clicked for me. Um, I think something we'll talk about because we have um, another Julia singles match later a little bit later to talk about. I think Julia has really been great in these many sort of Donna Del Mundo multi-man, multi-woman um, tags that they've done. I think that they've become very good at that, but I still think there's something missing with her as a singles wrestler, and I can't exactly put my finger on it, um, which is... Um, it's just a bit strange. There's just something about it that I'm that I don't connect really with these Julia matches, and this one felt especially odd, um, just because it felt like Julia sort of working out of her comfort zone, and it never really 
never really got there for me. I think the only time we've really seen Julia be great or have or have a great match uh, or is really in a brawling scenario. She had, I mean, I think the match everybody, of course, remembers is the uh, December match with Hanakamura. And that was, you know, really at the height of, they had really peaked their their hatred for each other. Uh, and I really liked her match with Natsuko Tora uh, in the, I believe in the Cinderella tournament. You didn't really care for that, but it was a similar match in that you kind of had the, the brawling going on. And yeah, I, I have some thoughts also about the Julia uh, match on the 726 show that we'll talk about. But basically, I agree. There, there really wasn't a great narrative to the match. It wasn't particularly compelling. And maybe most importantly, for the compelling aspect, was nothing about this ever made Konami seem like she was going to win the match. They had like the one triangle answer spot in this match. But I think we all pretty much expected Julia to win and they didn't do anything to to make us change our minds as the match went on. Yeah, I think part of this sort of seemed like, oh, we have now two shows to fill. So let's just make a tournament with two people who we can beat just to sort of stretch out this. So it's on two shows instead of just one match on one show. Um, because I've I felt the same way with this match and with the next match we're going to talk about that sort of it felt inevitable, which I think sometimes really hurts matches for me when I'm going, oh, you know, we're just doing this to get to, you know, we're just doing this to move from point A to point B. And so just sort of get to point B already. Yes. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know why they decided to do two Coracle Hall shows within nine days of each other, uh, especially at a time when you can't get that many fans. But I guess Corquin is the place you can still get the most fans, the most tickets. Although, sold. although this show did not, um, did not draw well. Um, I think it drew something like 265 people or something like that. Now I think stardom claimed that that was the full capacity of the building. Um, but three days before seedling had run a show and had 401 people. Um, so I don't know if stardom set it up differently. I don't know what they were doing. Also for the Corican that happened yesterday, they did 483, which is the, um, what I read is the full current sort of one third capacity of the building. So I think it's sort of an interesting, it's an interesting thing running these two shows back to back. I don't know if it's a Bushi Road thing. We know Bushi Road runs Corican with New Japan like it's uh, going out of style. Um, for example, currently they're doing nine Corican shows in the next however many, you know, two weeks or something like that. Um, but it's it's also one of those things where I feel like the period off sort of hurt them in that the bloom to me sort of feels like it's off the rose in terms of, you know, Bushi Road, you know, took over stardom and everyone was like, wow, this is really you know, it's really exciting. Oh, there's a lot of possibilities. What could happen? Who could come in? What kind of shows are they going to run? Where are they going to run? And now it feels sort of like, okay, we've been excited now that you've come in, but now you really got to prove it. Now you got to step up and like show us what you got. And based on, you know, the people coming to this show and then going to the next show, it's very possible that people said, well, we don't want to stardom shows, so we'll just go to the next one, which will have the finals match. And we'll skip and we'll skip the first one. I mean, I wouldn't blame anybody for that. This wasn't a particularly stacked card at all. All your I think we'll talk about this. I should have asked you to start what your 
overall thoughts on the show were, but we can just we'll hit that up now before we talk about the main event. But basically, it struck me because I watched the two tournament matches first, and then I watched the undercard. So when I got to the end of the undercard, I was like, oh, wow, this was a really good show, like a lot of fun. And then as I thought back on it, I was like, oh, wait, I didn't really care for either of the <laughs> of the top two matches. But like all your best workers, well, that's not fair. I mean, Konami is is one of the better workers in the company, but most of your best workers were in the undercard. So just a, a weird a weird show. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I sort of watched it in the same way. I watched the, I went the Chur of Stardom and then the two Wonder matches. And then I went back to the beginning. So I sort of got the same thing. I liked the Future of Stardom match, which we'll talk about in a second. So I think that sort of helped because I started out, that was the first thing I watched where I was like, oh, this is this is good. Um, but I do sort of agree they had a lot of their strong, their strongest people down closer to the bottom of the card for this one. All right, well, let's talk about the main event. It was Tom Nakano defeating Natsuko Tora. And yeah, I kind of felt the same in that there was not much, obviously, everything they were doing on socials, on the previous cards, was building a Julia versus Tom Nakano match. So it would have been pretty dumb to <laughs> to pivot and do anything else other than that for their big uh, Corquin show. Yeah, and it's also one of those things where, as you mentioned, the end of the Cinderella tournament was Julia versus Natsuko. So it would then you've seen the first result. So you then have to think even more, would they really run this match back having done it only a few months ago as the finals of this tournament, which seems very unlikely that they would have done that. So even more sort of confirmation that, oh yeah, that's the way they're going. Um, it just sort of is the way these things work when you do these sort of tournament things. Um, but yeah, the main event, it's another one. Um, Aaron, I know you're a Natsuko Tora fan. Um, but to me, it's just there's something that I don't connect with. It's all very strange. Oedo Tai feels to me, it feels to me, and I thought this, I don't know if I thought this during this show or another show, Stardom show that I watched. It feels almost like the group now has become an amalgamation of other successful heel groups in Joshi wrestling. You know, they now have this can or this bin or whatever you call it. Um, which is very sort of Aja Kong-esque. Um, you have Natsu Sumire whipping people in the ring, which is very much uh, what Maya Yukihi does in um, and Yumioka do as part of Sekigun in Oz Academy. It just feels very much like people cosplaying as other sort of more successful, quote-unquote, heel groups in the world of Joshi wrestling. It's also a thing where... I really liked the first two thirds of this match. I thought it was a lot of fun. And basically when they started doing the, the interference stuff is when the match got worse. And, you know, you had this finish that didn't really make Tom feel that strong going into her big match with Julia, where she gets a roll up on Natsuko after Natsuko tried to hit her with the chain and uh, Natsu's on the apron, but Tom pushed Natsuko into Natsu and then rolled her up. You know, it's just like, Okay, that's great, you know, but it just didn't do anything to help really anybody. Yeah, and it's a bit strange that Tom is sort of, I mean, a very, I really like her as a wrestler. She's very talented, of course, in ring, but she's never felt to me sort of like, I never really get the feeling that she's a super credible challenger 
near the top of this card. I don't know if that's the booking or I don't know what that's due to, but that is sort of the feeling I get. So I agree with you that it sort of ended with her winning, but the whole thing, you know, we were going towards Julia and Tom, but the whole thing sort of felt like Julia inevitable that she was going to win. And I guess the thing to do would be to make Tom feel strong. But then of course, who do you put against her that you can really have her dominate without it being, you know, with still being a drawing match that you're going to see and see who wins. I don't know. Um, but I, but I agree with your point that it, you know, didn't really help anyone. Not, not a great match. Not one I particularly enjoy. All right. Well, let's go back to the start of the show. It opened up as is customary with a Hina versus Rena match. Uh, Rena getting the win again with another Hydrangea. Uh, I don't have a lot to say about this, but I thought their their last match that we I think we talked about it before uh, was better. So mm, it was fine. Yes, and these matches sort of um, there is sort of a blurring together. There have been <laughs> so many of them. Um, so yeah, I don't really have I don't have many thoughts either. We had Utami Hayashita and Riho, a fun little team, uh, beating Natsu Sumire and Saki Kashima. Utami pinned Natsu with the torture rack bomb. I, it was a fine match, uh, nothing exciting. But what I really did like was the, the pre-match promo with Utami trying to convince Riho to join Queen's Quest. They just had like this very cute little banter between the two of them. That was that was funny to me, but also Riho came out and was acting very strangely. <laughs> like she went to do her pose on the um, top, standing on the middle rope, but sort of like standing above the top rope. Uh, and she kept looking over at the Oedo Tai team like, oh, they're going to attack. Me. They're going to attack me right now. They're going to attack. And so she was like wobbling. It was very weird. And then there was a point early in the match where Utami got knocked off the apron and Riho went to turn to tag, thinking she was going to tag her in. And she wasn't there. And Riho just sort of st- stood there and stared at the corner, uh, which was very funny to me. Um, but yeah, those were really my only thoughts. I was enjoying Riho. You know, Riho's someone, it will be interesting to see what happens with her in stardom in the future. Like you said, in the beginning, uh, Utami trying to recruit her to Queen's Quest, but I don't even know, um, is her future in stardom? I don't know the answer to that. Um, the, one of the results on 726 leans towards maybe not, um, but we'll see. I think a lot of that depends on when she can go back to America. Right. You know, that's going to be a a big thing. But I don't know. She doesn't feel like, I mean, she's obviously not stardom exclusive in Japan. So it doesn't feel like um, she's that, which I I don't mean this in a bad way, but it doesn't feel like she's that like dedicated or whatever to, to stardom. Yeah, it's been a bit strange in that she did Gato Moon Choco Pro. She's done DDT. She did that uh, Makoto Purdue show. And I wonder if she maybe goes to them and says, you know, I had a good time here, but I would rather just sort of, you know, go around to these, do these sort of spot show, quote unquote, spot shows until I can go back to the U.S. and rejoin AEW because, you know, splitting time. You know, between the two, I guess she could stay in stardom, but then she'll have to go back to AEW, and then it's a whole thing where do you book her to do anything, knowing that at whatever moment she could say, oh, I can go back to America, see ya. I don't know. Well, so, it's also like, 
in stardom, I don't really get the point because she, I think she is a, a draw herself, but they don't book her in a drawing position, which may be because, you know, like you say, they don't know when they might lose her, but I'm just not sure the point of having her on the shows, basically, other than I like watching her, you know? Yeah, I think she's super talented, but you're right. She has sort of been put in this position of almost like an undercard attraction, sort of. Um, there isn't any indication she's going to, I mean, maybe it happens on the next shows or something like that. There isn't any indication she's going to rise up the card. I mean, they're signing a bunch of people, so spots at the top of the card are getting um, tough to grab anyway. So I don't know. Maybe they just keep her around and they say, hey, you're just going to be someone who the audience likes to see and we'll put you in sort of these random matches and hope you draw in some extra fans until you leave and go back to AEW. Yeah, it was just it was a different a different environment when they first brought Riho in. And uh, I just I don't know if it makes a lot of sense now, but we'll see. I would love for her to be around. Uh, Shuri and Himeka, the Dona Del Mundo team, defeated Jungle Kiona and Death Yamasan. Shuri just kicked Death in the head and won. Yeah, I love this team, um, the Dona Del Mundo team. Obviously, the, I think, in my opinion, two best workers in the group. Um, Himika, I think, has been a really great addition to stardom. I think she brings something a little bit different um, than a lot of other people on Cheery. As I've mentioned, I, I seemingly mention this on every show we do, but it's only because it's the truth. Just has been great since she's come back. She's been great in stardom. She really, to me, she fits in well with that sort of, the, the sort of worker that I identify most with stardom you know, sort of this tough, toughest nails, you know, doing these kicks, really fighting hard, you know, someone like a Momo Watanabe or a Jungle Kiona. Um, so I think they've been great. I hope that these two tag together more because I I really like the team. Yeah, I, I really like this match, honestly. It's kind of exactly what you want out of a cold Korokun tag. It was uh, just really good. It was fun basically at all times. I mean, you know, if you replace Death Yamasan with, with somebody else, this is like a really excellent match. But she, of course, played uh, a fun role here. And I agree with you about Himika. I mean, I think she's really important to stardom with her with her size, with her style. She kind of fills the hole that maybe they wanted Andras Miyagi to fill. But uh, but she didn't really, you know, just not the worker that Himika is. But she she adds something different to the promotion that really helps uh, the only bad thing I thought about this match was that I'm glad that Dona Del Mondo now has the matching gear, but their gear is pink and TCS already does a lot of pink. I feel like, you know, we need a different color. That's all. Well, there's only so many colors. <laughs> I mean, that's true. But although later what, on, I thought what? that the Stars team and the um, Queen's Quest team also had similar colors on. So <laughs> maybe there will be a color war coming down. Ooh. The, uh, Coming that's, down the pike. That, that, that's actress girls. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Although I said color war and I thought of like a summer camp where, you know. <laughs> or like one can, of those 5Ks where they uh, squirt you with yes. colors or whatever. Wait, what? With a 5K where they squirt you with colors? A color run. You ever heard of this? No. It's basically like. Although you, to be fair, I'm not I'm not a runner. So I don't sure. know that I would Well, I've never that. done one of these, but you you do like a 5K run and there's people just like. It's almost like shooting you with paintballs, but I don't think it hurts, you know, but you just like, you wear white or whatever, 
and then you just like you're you're colorful by the end. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm not like that. Sounds I'm, that sounds horrible. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that the colors are pretty hard to get off your skin afterward. So, but I'm like, okay, I don't I don't enjoy running. Um, and the idea that you would be running and people would be shooting things at you seems to make it even less likely I, I would want to do that activity. <laughs> well, if I was running, I'd be like, just leave me alone and let me run. You know, just let me run in peace. I don't need you shooting anything at me, throwing anything at me or anything like that. Taylor, I have great news. Uh, I am not asking you to do a color run, <laughs> nor as far as I know, does, does New York state law require you to do one. I hope I don't get an email this week. Jumping bomb audio color run sign up. <laughs> Pandemic color run. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to come to New York City and, and run with a bunch of people. Yeah. That sounds like it would be a real treat. <laughs> okay. Next up was a Stars Queen's Quest battle. Mayu Iwatani and Starlight Kid defeated Momo Watanabe and Azumi. Starlight Kid pinned Azumi with the Kichan bomb. Uh, shockingly, I liked this match. Yeah, I thought it was really great. Um, this is more of a sort of general thought about the whole, about all the, about all the shows we watch, but it really is sort of, I don't know why all of a sudden it's happened to me, but Starlight Kid and Azumi are, have gotten very, very good. And it's just so strange is probably not the right word, but it's so, I don't know, something that, when I started watching Stardom around or just before the time that they launched Stardom World, which was a number of years ago, and Starlight Kid and Izumi were sort of the young uh, children. They were sort of in the position that, you know, someone like Rina or Hina is currently. And it's just been so cool to me to watch them become such great wrestlers. I mean, I think that they're, they did some stuff on this show and as well, I think on the 723 show, they were together. Um, that to me, it's just like, wow, they're great. And I've seen the whole thing and I've seen them go from these sort of like awkward children um, doing two minute matches in the opener to now this, where I think that they're two sort of ascendant wrestlers in the company. You know, we talked about spots at, this, at the top are tough, but I think that these are two wrestlers who are moving up in that direction and could be up near near the top or at the top of the card very soon. It's funny because I have for quite some time viewed Azumi as a best-in-the-world candidate in the future. And I think she's really, really good already. And I've, I'd never view Starlight Kid on that level. And I, I hear people all the time talking about how good she is, and I never get it. Like, I think she's good. Don't get me wrong. But... Her matches, I watch so closely because I feel like I'm missing out on something and I feel like I'm watching her matches wrong. So I'm really trying to pay attention, but I thought she was good here. I thought everybody was good here. It felt like everyone was going really hard and I don't know if they were just super excited to be back in front of fans or if I just haven't watched them as much recently. So I don't remember how hard they always go in, in big spots, but I just thought everybody went so hard here and uh, put on a great match. And we do have to talk about not to uh, I also went I went four stars on this match, so I thought it was great, but we do have to talk about two sort of humorous moments um in the match, Mayu Iwatani unsuccessfully trying to hit a six one nine 
or as He's I wrote missing. In, or as I wrote in my notes, how did Mayu fuck up a six one nine? LOL. <laughs> missing, and then as the crowd laughs, she turns to the crowd and shushes them to make sure that Starlight Kid doesn't realize that she fucked up. <laughs> yes, I just Mayu's so good. I just love her. That and then the top rope spot they did, which I'm not even sure what we're going for. Um, but whatever it was, it didn't uh, did not succeed, to say the least. I think they were trying to get Starlight Kid to jump off of Mayu's shoulders, but Mayu was also going to jump and do something, and it just didn't work. Um, and it's one of those things where something like that in some matches you'd be like, oh, that really sort of takes me out of it. But I feel like with Mayu matches, she has such a personality of like, well, here we go. Let's try this thing. <laughs> and it like sort of doesn't work. And you're like, well, that's my, you know, you're like, yep. that's Mayu. She tried it. It didn't work. Yeah. No, it's just, it's part of the charm. It's like part of a Mayu match. If she got everything 100% right in a match, it would almost be disappointing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree that I love this. Uh, the botches were like, uh, we're funny because it's Mayu, but also it's just you hold your breath when something like that happens with Mayu because she does seem to get injured so often. And she right. laid outside for a while afterward. And so I was kind of worried that she was hurt, but she seemed to be fine. Next up, and this will be the, the last match from this show since we went in a strange order. This was the future of stardom match. Uh, Micah versus Saya Kamitani versus Saya Ida. And Saya Kamitani wins. She pinned Ida with a standing shooting star press and this was the one that was like catch the wave rules right well it's um yeah yeah well, well no it's not catch the wave rules it's just sort of a general i think it's like a joshi match format because i've seen it probably three or four times but this is the catch um, the wave finals this is how they do the catch yes the wave catch final. the wave final well they did it in that year because there were three people tied at the top of the block right um they don't do it every year, but I think they've I've seen a match there. I think Marvelous once did a match in this format. So it doesn't happen super often, but it does it is sort of the um three way match format for a lot of Joshi, which I really like. Aaron, I know you don't like three way matches. Um so I'm interested to hear what you thought about this style of three way match. I thought it was f- quite a bit of fun in that it's like this is better than a three-way match because it's not a three-way match. It's a one-on-one match. You know, it's just like a series of one-on-one matches. I just, I guess it caught me off guard. Uh, I had, I had seen a, a tweet, so I knew that Saida didn't win, even though I'd tried to avoid spoilers, which I guess we should talk about that Saida was working out with Kagetsu and Hazuki. But uh, so I, I really thought Micah, was going to win. Like there was an earlier part where she had won. Wait, wait, hold on. Did Micah not win? Am I confused? Am I just totally remembering? Oh no, you're right. You're, you're right. I had, see, this is so screwed up because there's so many results in this match. So I just looked for the result in my, in my uh, notes, but yes. So what I meant was exactly the opposite of what I just said. I thought, uh, Saya Kamitani was going to win. So I was uh, very confused. And then uh, I did think maybe they did a few too many <laughs> matches in this in this match. But uh, yeah, Micah panned Saya with the, the, the leg sweep judo thing she does and then submitted Ida to win. Um, so I like this match format a lot. Obviously, that catch the wave match um, 
I brought it to the five match uh, Omakase, and we talked about it there with John Carroll. And I, so I think the format's super fun. I think it brings a, a different sort of wrinkle to um, a wrestling match where you're thinking about, you know, what's the strategy of these people trying to pin two people in a row? If you're the two people in the ring, maybe you, you know, go out easily so that you can go rest and try and come back in. Um, I went three and three quarters. The thing I think that was missing to me, and maybe this would have helped with your critique as well, was, you know, thinking back to that catch the wave match, there was a sense as the sort, as the matches went on, you know, as we got deeper into, okay, now they're tired. Now, you know, we're in match. I think there were six falls in that catch the wave. And it felt like after match, you know, fall three, all of a sudden it would be like, here's a fall. And the next person would run in and it would be like, they run in and they're, and they're trying to go for it. And so there was a, a bit of speed here where it felt like with the stardom match, you know, it'd be like, Oh, the pin happened or the submission happened. And then it was like, okay, and now we're going to take a minute break and we're going to get ready for the next match. And so that sort of, build to a crescendo that I really enjoy about the match um, and sort of the chaos to me wasn't there. I think that was the thing that was missing for me, but I still thought it was, um, as I said, three and three quarters, a very good match. Do you have any thoughts about Ida working out with Kagetsu and Hazuki? No, I actually hadn't even seen that. Oh, you mentioning it is a um, surprise to me. I don't really, I feel like there's been so much, um, said about Kagetsu and Hazuki that I'm sort of, I don't know where everything lies. The fact that everything was shut down for three months, you know, maybe something would have happened in that break that has now been delayed. Um, you know, it could just be, you know, Ida was there with the two of them and she says, hey, you want to hang out and work out, I guess. Well, it, um, it appeared to me from the photos that it actually happened at the Stardom Dojo. So that, oh. that was the most surprising part of it to me was that Hazuki would have come back to to work with her at stardom. Yeah, that is interesting then. I don't know. Um, you know, I think Kagetsu could come back because I think she just, you know, I think she left sort of on positive terms. So that wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, Hazuki, that that is a bit surprising to me. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if we ever got it, if we ever talked about this on this show. Uh, but it also just destroys the very dumb Dave Meltzer report that Kagetsu was basically kicked out of the company because all the wrestlers hated her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very bad. Very bad. Okay. Well, that's the 717 Corrigan show. Let's quickly talk about, well, there's, you know, we only know a few matches from 724 and 726. Uh, 723 is the show that was in Osaka. I have not watched any of it, I'm afraid to report. So, Taylor, do you want to tell us what you enjoyed off of the 723 show? Yeah, so I saw, I liked the whole show. I don't know that there was anything. I thought the main event was very strong. I think I went three and three quarters. Um, main event being the Donna Del Mundo, Oedo Tai six-person title match, um, the Artist of Stardom. Um I thought it was good. The rest of the card I actually thought was very strong. There's nothing that's to me that was blow away that I was like, whoa, super cool. But I, it was a show where sort of every match to me was around three and a half stars, which makes it a strong show. Um, you know, nothing that I'm saying, go out of your way to, you know, 
hunt this down. But definitely a show worth watching, a very easy watch. Um, I think it's something, I think it's like two hours maybe. So it's a quick show. Um, Himika versus Sayakama Tani was super fun. That was probably my highlight of the undercard, uh, seeing that match. Two really great wrestlers. Saya, to me, continues to improve. Um, she was one of the people I covered in the uh, five-part series on Voices of Wrestling that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Um, I think she's getting really great. You can see sort of, um, I think of these wrestlers who are sort of hyper-athletic, someone like Asuka, who I watched for many years, and you could sort of tell she was athletic, but she was struggling to sort of put the hyper-athletic things she could do together with the sort of base wrestling things that you need to do. So it would be sort of like, oh, awkward. And then she would do something very athletic and cool, and you'd be like, whoa. And Asuka has grown, obviously we've talked about on this show, into so great. She's so smooth. It's all come together for her. And I can see that happening sort of match by match with Saya as well, where the great thing she can do, the running, shooting star, obviously very impressive. She's putting it together with the rest of her wrestling ability. And I see her becoming every match seemingly more and more smooth, sort of putting together the entire package as opposed to just sort of these one or two wow moments in each match, you know, in between sort of this basic wrestling skill. So that to me would probably be the undercard match to seek out. And then I would say watch the main event, um, a title match. So has some implications and is a fun match. So, that is my 723 recommendation. Okay, on the 724 show in Nagoya, we, of course, the only match that's been posted on Stardom World is the red belt title match, Jungle Kiona challenging Mayu Iwatani. Uh, of course, uh, Mayu won the match. Uh, let's start with thoughts about the match. Uh, for me, they had some issues with some big spots that didn't quite come together. And overall, I thought that the gravest sin of the match was that I never believed Kiona was going to win. So it was hard for me to get invested in it. I just thought this was on the very low end of what these two are capable of. Yeah, it felt to me I didn't I wasn't blown away by it either. It felt sort of like a match between two people who know that they're going to have a match soon, another match soon and are like, "Hey, let's not blow anything here because we're going to need it in, you know, next month or something." It just felt sort of like a very standard match. I was sitting there, I was watching. And I think at one point I was like, Oh, I hope this like picks up soon. And I looked and I happened to look at the timestamp and it was like, Oh, there's six minutes left in the match. And I was like, Oh, maybe it's not going to pick up. <laughs> um, and it didn't really, for me, it just sort of didn't, it never really clicked. I mean, it was not a bad match. And I don't mean to say that. I think I probably would have gone three and a half or so. Um, but with these two wrestlers, two of the best in stardom, two of the best in the world to me, you know, the expectations going into it are, for me, five stars. You know, maybe that's putting too much expectation on what's going to happen, but they've shown in the past that that's what they can deliver. And so that's what I expect. I don't go into matches going, oh, well, I think maybe this will be a disaster. So then if it's good, I'll be happy. You know, I want every match that I watch to be you know, the best match I've seen, because that would be super exciting. Um, but yeah, it didn't come together. Um, I have more thoughts about the 
outcome of the match, which we will talk about in a second. But yes, um, just an okay match to me. Nothing to write home about. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when you put Jungle Kiona in a title match in Nagoya, which is her hometown, and we've seen her have like out of this world matches, title matches in Nagoya, the match with her and Momo Watanabe from what, two years ago at this point in Nagoya was one of my favorite matches of the year. So it's something that you really are counting on something crazy. I guess my biggest problem with the match is that it happened at all. It, I don't understand why it happened if Kiona was going to lose because she's well known for losing big matches in Nagoya, of course, to the point where you almost can't expect her to win there ever, which if they ever pay that off, I guess will be, will be good. But you add that on to everything else that's gone on, of course, uh, losing one of her best friends and making a comment around the time that uh, Hana's dream was to win the red belt. And so Jungle was going to win it for her. And they didn't talk about that in the build up to this match. So, you know, I can't really pin that on them. But to not even give us, I don't know, it just fucked with my emotions, I guess. Because to not even give us a match where it felt like she was going to win just seems seems cruel in a lot of ways. Uh, and again, it could just be my emotional attachment to what, what was going on. But it's not like you could sell a ton of tickets in Nagoya because of restrictions. So, you know, I, I can't really be convinced that if they'd done a different match, they wouldn't have sold just as many tickets. So I just can't understand the thought process behind doing this match at all. Yeah, and it's so funny because I was reading a lot of different thoughts, you know, tweets and different things in the lead up to the match. And and some of the thought among some people was, well, Jungle's going to win the match, but won't it be weird? It'll feel like a sympathy win for what happened. And, you know, will that, you know, fulfill it if we feel like she's just winning because of this terrible thing that happened? But then she doesn't even win. It's like people got ahead of each, ahead of themselves thinking, oh, she's going to win. And then she goes out and she loses again. And it's a whole thing where it's clear the promotion doesn't weirdly doesn't see her as a star. Um, but it feels sort of like a chicken or, or egg thing where they have gone to the fans and, and repeatedly, as you said, she goes to her hometown, she loses. And so it's sort of like, is the fan base supposed to connect with this person who we've been told over and over again is really sort of just a loser who can't get it done? Like, and I don't understand. It's just a weird thing where, you know, Stardom's going to point and go, well, the fans aren't behind her. It's like the fans aren't behind her because every time people get their hopes up, she'd lose, she blows it. And, you know, Jungle is my favorite wrestler in Stardom. But she lost, and I was sort of like, well, of course, like, of course she did. Why wouldn't she? This is what happens. And, you know, whereas two years ago you talked about that Momo match, I was like, ah, I was like, oh, man, she like she lost again. What a bummer. But now I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, of course she did, because she's a loser who can't who can't get the deal done and she'll never win this title. And the whole joke is, you know. She loses and everyone goes, oh, Jungle Kiona, go to Seedling or whatever. Go to Ice Ribbon. But And I'm sure that Jungle, she's one of the higher up on this card. She's been with Stardom for a while. I'm sure that, you know, pay and money goes into this. 
But I would love to see her go somewhere else and, you know, not as a bit, not to be funny, because I think anywhere else she would she would go, she would be a huge deal. And in a wrestling world or at least in a Joshi world that's moving and shaking and we're talking about, you know, maybe promotions working together and doing this and maybe thinking about bigger shows. I mean, she could be a game changer for someone you know, a smaller promotion, we'll talk about Seedling in a few minutes when we review their show. But that to me is a promotion that is getting, is building up, is getting stronger. And someone like a huge star like Jungle Kiona, who I think if you went somewhere else and won a title, it would be sort of like the, oh, she can be this star that stardom thought, oh, she doesn't have the capability to be. But it's just so frustrating to me now to realize hey, this is one of the best wrestlers in the world, and she'll never really, at this point, I have no hope she'll ever be more successful than sort of an occasional title challenger, a sort of Hiroki Goto of stardom, you know, the person where, oh, we need someone who can challenge who people like, but it's okay if they lose every time. Oh, that's Jungle Kiona, because she'll put on a good match, she'll lose, and then she'll go back to wherever the heck she is on the card. And frankly, I think it's impossible for us to know, like economically, whether she's better off. Well, frankly, I'd be stunned if she's not better off in the middle of stardom versus at the top of of one of these other promotions. Right. So, you know, presumably it's it's the best move for her as just like from a strictly economic perspective. Uh, who knows if she feels fulfilled? You know, it's impossible to know if, if she's happy with where she is in, in stardom. but. I agree. I mean, it it makes me very concerned that this is the outcome I'm looking at for Momo Watanabe, who's my favorite wrestler. <laughs> you know, I kind of see like this is her future that I'm looking at also. And uh, we'll see. Of course, I guess the difference is Jungle's a little bit older, so she's probably going to stick around in wrestling for a while. We don't know what Momo will do. She's still uh, 20 or whatever. So I agree. It's a bummer. It's like they're trying to beat out of us any any hope that she would uh, be a star in this promotion. And yeah, I, when they first announced the match, I was like, Oh yeah, jungle's going to win. And then the closer it got to it, I was like, there's no fucking chance she's winning. It's just obvious that she's not going to win. And in the match, they never, as I said, they didn't do a thing to make us feel like she could win while the match was happening. So. Well, and it's one of those things where if I said, okay, in six months, she's going to rechallenge and she's going to win. Are we now at the point where people are so tired out of losing that she'll win and we'll be like, oh, like, oh, okay. Like, I think there is a story you can tell with someone challenges for a title. They don't win. They go back and they come and they earn another title shot and they win. And it's like, oh, the things I missed in the first match, I came back and I did it again. Or maybe you could do it a third time. I don't know. But now this is like many, many, like seven or eight or something. I don't know how many it is. It just feels like it's been endless challenges. So if she wins, it'll just feel like, oh, why was it Why was it this time and not four times ago when people would have been more excited, they would have been more into it, and now it just feels sort of like, a, I, I don't even know. I don't know if she'll, maybe she never does win. Maybe she <laughs> becomes the perpetual loser, but it just feels like now even her losing so much would cheapen a future win. Absolutely. I mean, wrestling is replete with examples of waiting too long to give the person the win or the title or the whatever. And I think this was one too many with Kiona. 
it will feel I mean, think about if Goto won the, the title in New Japan, it'd be like, okay, whatever, you know, it'd feel about like evil winning the title, except for different reasons, you know? Uh, so it's like, yeah, they, they've gone too far past the point. And I think this was the one with Kiona. Would it have been cheapened by the fact that it, it was in the, the wake of tragedy? Perhaps. But this is a, a storytelling medium. And the best story was, uh, well, frankly, that's why you don't book the match when it happened, because it was it would have been it would have been cheapened by that. But the storytelling is that you have this real life story of her now having this new renewed drive to win this title. And you can do it over a period of time that sees her shake off that that loser stench and go back to Nagoya and win the big one and win the title. But, you know, it's a, it's a promotion where they've positioned a lot of people ahead of her and there are new people coming in who uh, potentially are going to be ahead of her. And I just, I think you nailed it that they don't see her at that level. And so we're just never going to get it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Very <sad>. exciting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on to the uh, 726 Corquin show. Only one match has aired from that show. And it was the white belt tournament final with Julia defeating Tom Nakano becoming the white belt champion. She uh, won essentially by ref stoppage when Tom passed out in a submission hold. So uh, you, you kind of suggested earlier that this led you to some takes on, on Julia. So I guess let's hear them. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a similar thing where I was watching the match and I was just sort of like, this is not coming together for me and I can't put my finger on why I thought Tom was really good. I thought she, um, was really impressive in the match. She did a lot of cool things. She had the suplex on the outside, which I thought was cool. She um, was throwing kicks around, which I thought was great. But there was just something about the match where I'm like, I'm watching the match and I'm not really feeling much as to, you know, it's not a bad match, but I'm just sort of watching it and it's happening and I'm following along and I don't really feel anything positive or negative. Um, you know, could have been hurt by the fact that I knew the outcome. Um, I had been spoiled, although the Stardom Twitter account said the finish was an arm bar, which I would argue it was. It was sort of confusing because they said, oh, Julia put Tom in an, in an arm bar and she passed out, which seems like a weird thing to happen in an arm bar. <laughs> um, yes. But it wasn't an arm bar. It was like, uh, I don't know the names of moves, but I wouldn't have called it an arm bar. Um, so that was a bit weird, but maybe because I knew I knew how long the match was going to go. I knew who was going to win. I knew how they were going to win. So it might have been me just sort of thinking, okay, I'm sitting here. I'm waiting for the inevitable that I already know is going to happen, that I felt even before I knew the result was going to happen, I figured Julia was going to win. It just never really clicked into anything for me. Yeah, it's interesting because – I could feel throughout the entire match that they were both working really hard. I don't know if you remember the the famous Rashid Wallace post-game interview where both teams played hard, my man. That's kind of how I felt <laughs> about this match. But it's like as hard as they were working, it's just like not smooth, not consistently compelling. You had the one spot where Tom is literally waving for Julia to come closer when she's going to hit a top rope move on her. It's like, no, I need you over here, actually, please. Uh, so 
I, I thought as it went in the closing stretch, it got pretty good. You know, it got going there. It was, I did not know the finish. I assumed that Julia had won, but it was so weird to me that the submission thing was the finish because Julia looked lost as far as what, how she wanted to move from, from move to move in that little exchange. Um, I think the answer is just that these two should not have a 28 minute match together. Like, I think Tom is a better wrestler than Julia. I don't think that's really questionable at this point, but I think both of them need someone better than them to, to pull them to a really good match. And, uh, obviously neither of them had that here. So it's just something I would have probably tried to do more quickly, especially when you have the build of it being kind of a heated match. But I think the biggest problem, and it's kind of what you alluded to when we were talking about the 717 show, is that this is just thrown together. So even though they've tried to hotshot this blood feud between Julia and Tom, you never really felt that. And it didn't feel like an important match. It didn't feel like a feud that you just really had to see one of the two win. It's just that... In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network.
Julia has been handpicked to be the next big star of this promotion, and this is just how it had to play out. And you kind of felt that in the match, I think. Yeah, and I think Julia, it's sort of, she's sort of some percentage of the way there in terms of becoming a great wrestler. And whatever percent that is, I don't know, I'm not going to put a percent on it. But when she's in these sort of multi-person tags that she's been doing that I've all really enjoyed, she can come in, she can give that whatever percent it is, and then get out and tag in Himika or something, or tag in Micah, and they come in and they do something where you're only seeing, it's like you're only seeing the best of what Julia has to offer, where in a singles match, you have to see the whole thing, and the whole thing is not there. It's not all there yet. And being in a singles match exposes that it, that it isn't all there yet, especially, as you said, in a match with someone who, you know, if this isn't a match with Momo Watanabe, I think that Momo has the ability to go enough. She's super talented that she could cover you know, she can go, okay, you don't have this yet, but we can do this or I'll do this. Whereas Tom is good, but Tom to me doesn't have the, you know, it's not the complete thing where it's like, oh, I like this that Tom did at this point. You know, I like the suplex on the outside. That was cool. But then there's the, there's the moments from time when I'm going, I like this moment and I liked moment B, but the, the connection between them isn't there for me. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's a great point. That's kind of what what they have, but they decided to put like these four people in their two main events, you know, or their main event segments of the Coroquins. And it was just weird choices, especially considering all the high end talent that they have. But I guess I appreciate that they don't want to burn the, the Julia matches yet with some of their top level workers. So this is what they decided to do, but it just didn't really work that well. Let's go ahead and talk about the uh, the five star Grand Prix before we move on to the next show, just so we can just kind of get all the stardom talk out of the way. So five star Grand Prix is going to be August 8th and 9th at Corcoran Hall. They'll be back a lot of Corcoran uh, in a row for them. God, doing two days in a row there. Wow. And they've announced the 16 wrestlers who will be in the, the Grand Prix. Uh, Mayu Iwatani, Tom Nakano, Starlight Kid, Natsuko Tora. Saki Kashima, Jungle Kiona, Konami, Death Yamasan, Julia, Micah, Shuri, Himeka, Momo Watanabe, Utami Hayashishita, Azumi, Sayakamitani. The big, I mean, it's just about who you would expect. Obviously, they, they usually have some foreigners in for this, but they can't, of course, this time around. I guess the big surprises are just, uh, well, the biggest surprise to me is no Natsu Sumire, and then also just kind of sad that no Sayaida. Yeah, it's interesting. To, there's been a lot of discussion uh, recently that I've been seeing about where Saida sort of fits in the world of stardom. Uh, it seems clear that she's moved into the slot below Sayaka Matani, who I think is really taking off sort of in that Utami mold of getting the big push. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think looking at this list, the only person I think could even where you say, okay, who would you take out to replace, you know, you put Samira in or you put Ida in, it would be Death Yamasan to me. But to me, it makes sense that she's in. I mean, Keir Yoniyama is a great worker. She's someone you can have anyone beat or really, as we've seen recently on some of these shows, she has been picking up victories. So maybe building um, to some upsets here in this tournament. So she can beat people or she can be beaten very easily. 
And maybe it's something where you don't want Ida in the tournament, you know, taking losses to a lot of people or beating people who at the current moment feel a little above her station in the company. Yeah, I guess that one spot either needs to be Death Yamasan or Natsu Sumire. They kind of fill a similar role in this type of tournament. Uh, I guess the other big one that I didn't even point out is no Riho. So uh, maybe that tells us also something about her future. That's right. I didn't I didn't even think about that either. Um, but I think that just points to what we said before, where it's sort of she's been this floating presence with no real with no real hook into the company. So when I looked at it, I didn't even think about that because it's almost like, why would she be in the tournament? I don't know. Uh, she'd be a great addition, though, to this. That would really yeah, she, yeah. add something. The other startup note is that Micah and Himika have signed with the company, so they will not be uh, freelancers going forward. Yeah, not um, surprising. I mean, a little surprising that they officially signed Micah away from Just Step Out because, I don't know, it felt like Just Step Out only runs. They run very infrequently. Like, I don't even know if they do run once a month. They might run about once a month. So it seems like something where stardom could be could just say, yeah, go over there and do your one, you know, one show a month. Or if it happens to conflict with stardom, you know, pick us over them or they can, you know, plan around us or whatever. So that's one's a little bit. I mean, it makes sense to me. It's a little strange that they felt so strongly that they had to sign her. But Kimika makes sense. I don't I thought I figured when she showed up, she was signed. Um, she hasn't showed up anywhere else. She hasn't been in any other company doing anything. So that one, um, not a surprise. Yeah, kind of weird to me that they haven't signed Shuri straight out. I mean, I guess now she's the only one who's a who remains a freelancer. So I'd be interested to see oh, how that plays out. Although I think her not signing with the other two is maybe a sign that she won't be signing. Yeah, that's a um, fair point. It's just weird to me that just, they're going to have a freelancer. Yeah. I, I mean, they've done it in the past. They've seemed to move away from it. I don't know if maybe they're working on her and saying, hey, sign with us. But I know that she's got a lot going on in, in other companies. Um, obviously, in Ice Ribbon, uh, she was in Oz. So she's doing a lot of other stuff. She has a Makai um, as well, which is what Hikaru Shido, Shida has, which she is still signed with in AEW, at least when things are normal, lets her go back and and do that. So maybe that's the holdup in that she wants to remain um, doing that. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see um, if maybe she wrestles for a bit. Maybe if there's a, you know, draft at some point, maybe they redraft these groups and Siri leaves at that point. I don't know once they have a new sort of Donna Del Mundo, but it'll be interesting to see. But I did think it was an interesting point that the other two signed and she didn't. So we'll see what that leads to. Yes, we will. Okay. Well, that pretty much covers stardom for this week. Do you want to do Choco Pro or Seedling next? Um, Let's do Seedling next because okay. we'll talk about their Corican show and then I'll briefly touch on the show that they had last night. So we'll do both of those together. All right. So Seedling, we're going to talk about, we're going to start with the July 13 show. From Corquin Hall, they had 401 fans in the building, and they got started with Sukasa Fujimoto defeating Riko Kaiju in her singles debut. And I thought this was really fun, and it was really good for a, a debut for Riko Kaiju. Uh, lots of fire, just 
impressively competent. Just a fun match. Yeah, I thought it started out really hot. There was a great opening sequence that they had. I think near the end, uh, Rico sort of, you could you could tell there was some fatigue, although I thought it was impressive. I think the match went over 10 minutes, uh, which is pretty impressive for your first ever. I know she had some exhibitions on some earlier shows this year, um, but I was very impressed to do a 10-minute match for your debut. Um, so definitely some good signs there. Um, a nice scene afterwards with her getting a hug from Nanai and walking out with Nanai. So I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of Riko Kaiju and seeing how she grows her and Hanori Hana now together as rookies in this promotion after they after this promotion went five years with no rookies. Now they have two. So very exciting. Next up was a high-speed three-way match, the Taylor Mainberg special with Tsukushi defeating Ayame Sasumura and Kaho Kobayashi. Yeah, just a classic uh, sort of high-speed, high-jinks match. I mean, Sakushi is, if you want high-jinks in a match, uh, is the person to have. thought it was super fun. Ayame Sasamura is someone who I really think is great. She was uh, tag champs last year or two years ago. Uh, my memory's failing me. But she was tag champs and then got injured and was away for a while, and I'm glad to see her back because I think she's sort of one of the unheralded um, Joshi stars out there, and I hope that she gets more opportunities in, in Seedling um, and elsewhere to show what she can do because I think that she's super talented. Yeah, this is just like our biggest diff- – like I feel like when we were talking about stardom, we agreed on almost every match we talked about, and it's just like these matches I don't get in the way that you do at all. They're just not for me. It's like it's not bad. I just – I don't understand it. That's all. It's just, it's high speed rules, baby. It's high speed rules. <laughs> All right. Well, I just, it's just one of those things where I accept that it's not for me and I watch it anyway, but just don't get it that much. Yeah. And they're usually down the card and they're usually not. Yeah. They don't, they're not super long matches, but you know, I could see it's sort of a different format than um, you, you would be used to. And the rules are a bit weird with having to hit the ropes before you make the pin. And then the pin is counted very quickly. And then, you know, not so good. Tayo is always getting involved and things like that. So, you know, I could see that. I always enjoy them for what they are, sort of these fun opening matches. But, you know, I see where you're coming from. Well, thank you. I appreciate you. All right. Next up, the Las Frega de Egoistas team of Asuka and Makoto defeated Onoriana and Yumiko Hoda. Yeah, interesting to see Yumiko Hoda appear here. Last episode, we talked about how she left Actress girls as player manager, whatever her role exactly was there. It's not clear, but I think that she would be a really great um, addition to Seedling. This was a fun match that I enjoyed. I think that she would be, I think there was some idea that she was training um, in Actress Girls at some point or another. You know, if that's true, Actress Girls has turned out a lot of really talented people in the last few years. And so if that's down to her, it would be great to get her involved in seedling as well with these young um, up-and-coming rookies, these two rookies. It would be great to have her. But, yeah, a match I, uh, I, th- I thought it was really fun. Um, you know, not much, not much else to say, but Hoda was definitely the, the standout for me. I thought it was fine. I, I always like seeing Asuka, but nothing really jumped out to me. We should also say that uh, this and the next match were, uh, were clipped. 
So we didn't really get to see the whole match. Yeah. Next up, we had a six-man tag match. The Max Voltage team of Itsuki Aoki, Miyuki Takase, and Ryo Mizunami defeated Hiroyo, Hiroyo Matsumoto, Rina Yamashita, and you. I like yeah, that you one... is is listed as only as only being from Pro Wrestling Eve now. Yes, not for not. For, it's strange that they haven't indicated she's freelance, but I guess Pro <laughs> Wrestling Eve. <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess she's the one foreigner uh, who is in the uh, in the country currently from Pro Wrestling Eve. Um, now, the first thing we have to talk about, Aaron, is maybe the most important part: the Max Voltage dance. <laughs> Um, I love a dance. I'm just going to say. I love a dance. I was thinking, um, well, I went back. I watched the dance three times <laughs> while I was watching the show. Okay. Wait. Well, no. Am, am I allowed to out you on what you told me about another dance? Am I? Are, ooh. Well, I can't think of what you're talking about, so I'm a bit hesitant <laughs> to say yes. You told me about uh, another dance in another promotion that you're perhaps not as fond of. I'm going to allow you to say it. Um, because I don't know what you're talking. I don't know what you're talking about. You did tell me that you skipped the up, up girls. Oh no, no, no. Here's the thing. (laughs) But you watched this three times that I'm a little concerned about that, to be honest. Well, first of all, this one was a total of about 45 seconds and the up, up girls goes about 10 minutes. I only said I skipped the up, up girls one time this time because I was watching so many shows to prepare for this episode of the podcast. I watched six pro wrestling shows yesterday to prepare. And so very cruel. I'd never do it, but I did skip the up, up girls yesterday to cut 20 minutes out of the Tokyo Joshi show um, to give me a little bit more flexibility. But yes, this dance is 45 minutes. So in total, it took me about two minutes to watch it three times. Um, but I love a dance. I'm a big dance proponent. I was thinking in the middle of this that if I ran a promotion, everyone would be required to dance as part of their entrance. Um, okay. Don't you it, think that would water it down a little, Taylor? You can never have too much dance. Think about <laughs> it. What's too much dancing? But they also had two – I don't know who they were. I don't know if they ever announced it. But they had two, like, professional dancers with them in the background, which – I was like, whoa, they're, they really know it. Um, you know, this isn't like, you know, when Dragon Gate had natural vibes and they would dance, there were always the people, like Genki Horiguchi was always into it. Um, and Susumu Yokozuka was always not into it. Um, and it was always very noticeable who was really giving Max effort and who was not. But in this one, it feels like they all give big effort even if they're not great dancers, you know, Miyuki Takase is um, very talented coming from actress girls. But, um, yes, I just love the dance. I love the song. I'm all about it. Okay. Uh, I don't have any problem with But that. anyway, the match. Uh, um, I like this match. Obviously, it's setting up this um, sort of um, set of people for the tag titles with uh, the Selfish Strawberries coming out at the end. And all the arguing going on, Hiroyo Matsumoto is half of the tag team champions with Yoshiko. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a fun match. Takase is really great. Mizunami, of course, always a lot of fun. I really like Rina Yamashita in Seedling. So uh, another uh, fun match for me. All right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I also thought it was fun. Wasn't like, didn't blow me away or anything, but I enjoyed it. 
Uh, Ryo Mizunami pinned you, by the way. I don't think I mentioned that. And then we had the main event uh, for the Beyond the Sea title. Yoshiko winning the title from Arisa Nakajima in uh, a match that I really liked, uh, but I'm guessing you liked quite a bit more than I did. Well, you talk about how much you liked it, and then I'll f- I'll follow you. Yeah, but I'm pretty terrified, honestly, because I think I'm going to be low on this. And Uh-oh. I know. Uh, All right, then I'll start. Oh boy. Yeah. Oof. Well, no. Let, let me let me lower expectations, and you can okay. go up okay. high, and then we'll end with that. That'll be good. People will be happy about that. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was okay. Here's what I wrote. My last note. Quite good, but never went next level for me. Interesting. What would you <laughs> What would you give it when you say quite good? What is quite good? I got it. I got it at about three and three quarters. Oh, all right. I, I heard of people putting this at like four and a half. So I'm pretty low. Are you going to be above four and a half? Well, I put it at four and a half. <laughs> right. So I don't know. Now, to be fair, you are much more invested in seedling than I am. So I think that plays a big role in in enjoyment of matches. Yes, they are my, maybe my favorite promotion. So yes, that could play into it. Um, I really, as I said, four and a half stars, I really enjoyed it. I love Arisa Nakajima. I love all her matches. They're always, to me, 100%. Um, just a really, sort of the match that I expected, you know, didn't get super high, like match of the year, to me, um, but I thought it was really great. One of Yoshiko's, at least in my opinion, one of her top singles matches that she's ever had. I'm trying to think back what else I rated highly. I can't think of anything now. I just thought hard hitting as you would expect. Um, I liked, there was the video package um, before the match that showed some of their previous encounters, how Arisa had beaten Yoshiko with the Bridging suplex. They had a bridging suplex in this match that Arisa lost the bridge on very close to the end of the match, which seemed to indicate to me that she had hit the move she needed to win, but Yoshiko got out of it. And maybe that was the moment she could have won the match and it went by her because she wasn't able to keep on the bridge. Um, I was spoiled on the result, but I still really liked it. And I think even if I had been watching it unspoiled, I think Yoshiko was, in my mind, definitely coming out of this match with the title. Obviously, she's gained a lot of popularity from TikTok. But even without that, you know, this promotion, Yoshiko is really tied into it. She was part of the original um, sort of roster of the promotion back when they originally held the beyond the sea title tournament i figured that she was going to win it all and that she would be the first champion um it didn't work out this way but not surprised um that she would win it here i do wonder how much of this was a an audible to say oh now she's gaining this popularity we should put the title on her or if this was always in the works um just because she is one of the stars of the company She is very um, well-beloved by the fan base. So it could have been in the plans. It could have been a change. I don't know. Um, But I just thought it was a great match um, and definitely uh, one to check out. All right. Well, we we went long on Sardom. I think we're going to have to uh, go short on a few other things here, but we will see. 
Uh, oh, Jim yes. Um, but before, sorry, I'll just cover this very quickly. Seedling had a oh, show right, last I'm sorry, night. I'm sorry. Yes, please. Um, yeah, I, I forgot about it until you started speaking. Um, they had a show last night, um, Yoshiko's 27th birthday show, which to me is sort of crazy that we spent um, some episodes a few months ago talking about Yoshiko's debut 10 years ago, and she's only turning 27. Um, is pretty wild to me. But it was a fun show. It was on the 17 live streaming service, which means if you missed it, I don't think it will ever appear anywhere, unfortunately. But it was a fun show. Some interesting appearances. Uh, Mayumi Ozaki um, appeared and was in the high-speed match, which sort of gave it a different feel than the usual high-speed matches. Um, you had Miyako Matsumoto tagging with Arisa Nakajima, two very different personalities there teaming together. They had some tension, uh, but also some fun moments. And then the main event, um, a lot of super talented people. Aja Kong was there, Asuka, Saki Akai, um, the team, Yoshiko team with Hiroya Matsumoto and Ayame Sasamura. They all came out dressed as Yoshiko. Um, a little bit of fun. They were all in jumpsuits wearing wigs. Uh, the other team stole their wigs. Aja Kong was wearing the wig. So a fun, sort of a fun, relaxed environment and a fun show. I would say check it out, but I don't know if you can. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we uh, taunted our listeners. Okay, Chocopro. There's been like three episodes since we last talked. Uh, I'm going to, I mean, you're the Chocopro guy. I did watch episode 33. So, I, I mean, I might have some thoughts there, but lead us through what you want to talk about from Chocopro. So um, I guess the first thing I the first thing I wanted to talk about, you know, there's um, I often come on the show and I feel a little bit like we I've sort of undersold. I always feel like I'm underselling Choco Pro and I've been thinking a lot about it. And there was a post um, on Twitter by uh, Luke, who goes by Oysters Earrings. He posted about. Um, the match, the main event of Chaco Pro 33, which was May Suruga versus Mitsuru Kono, um, which was an excellent match. I think it might be my new match of the year. I just think it was a great match. A lot of people think about or they hear about Chaco Pro, they hear about Gato Move, and they think sort of comedy. You know, they wrestle in this converted pharmacy office um, and they see GIFs online of maybe, you know, Antonio Honda or something goofy going on. And they think, oh, it's a total comedy promotion. To me, this match was very serious. Um, Aaron, I don't know if you agree having in what you thought of the match. But I just thought it was a totally, you know, put that in a ring, put it on a, on a big show. And I think people would really be going crazy for it. I thought it was hard hitting, you know, uh, sort of unexpectedly hard hitting for me. Um, excellent technically, um, a lot of technical proficiency. But the sort of weird thing and the thing I've been thinking about with Chaco Pro, and one of the reasons I think I've sort of undersold it on the show in terms of how good it's been, is that they've sort of created a world in which, you know, we think about wrestling so often as, you know, sort of these individual stories and two people lead to a match and they fight and then they go off in different directions and they sort of do different things. You know, you challenge for a title, you go for the title, you lose, and then you go off and you do a story with someone else. And these stories are sort of unconnected. Um, but Choco Pro has done such a good job to me in sort of connecting the entire universe where every match has its own story, but it's also related to 
other stories that have happened and other stories that are going on in the promotion. So a lot of times when people say, hey, what should I watch? You know, I can recommend matches I thought were really good, but oftentimes it feels like being like, hey, I love this TV show. And the person says, hey, what should I watch from the TV show? And you say something like, oh, you should watch episode eight. Like you'd never say that to someone who wants to get into a TV show. You know, you would say, we'll start with episode one and watch through, but I understand people's time is limited. Um, but it's just been a promotion that's been so good with creating sort of these realistic stories about, you know, people wrestling and how they feel about what they're doing and things like that. And it's all sort of interconnected. Um, so I don't really know. I don't have a nice ending bow for this point that I'm making, but uh, Choco Pro 33, I would definitely recommend Mitsuru Kono versus Mace Ruga. Aaron, what did you, you watch the match. What did you think of it? I thought it was great. I really liked it. Now, I mean, it's not going to be my match of the year. I'm sorry, Taylor. Uh, but I liked it a lot. I mean, I think there is a little bit of silliness even in the really good matches in Choco Pro, but I think it adds to them rather than detracts from them. You know, and some of it is like Balianaki commentary, but you know, like she opens up a, a window to the outside and like uses it to jump off, you know, to run off of or whatever, you know. So it's like there is some built-in silliness. But when it came down to this, I mean, it was a war. Um, and I think Mace Ruga gets a lot of the uh, plaudits, but like Kono was excellent in this match. Just like fired up, uh, screaming a lot, which I enjoy, you know, just like, oh, you know, it's trying to kill May. Uh, so I don't know. I thought it was really, really good. Yeah. And Mitsuru, uh, just to go briefly through, had a great match with Yuna Mizumori on Choco Pro 34. Um, and it was so good that I went four and a quarter and I sort of at the end was like, yep, that was good. Uh, four and a quarter. Like I almost ex sort of expect these things to be good because they've just been delivering on such a high level. And she had a match with uh, Balianaki actually last night as of this recording, Choco Pro 35, another match that was very strong. There were some minor uh, hiccups with the stream, but they did repost the match in good quality. So if you haven't seen that, another one, it's sort of this trio of matches. Mitsuru's um, sort of been going through a lot with what she thinks wrestling should be, what she thinks her wrestling should be, other people's wrestling should be. So it's a nice sort of, these last two weeks have been a trilogy, a nice trilogy of matches featuring Mitsuru going against sort of the big staples of Chaco Pro. The one thing I did really think was funny was May doing her like pre-match banter. And she's like, good morning, good evening. And, and she thinks about it and she just like very strongly says, good morning again. <laughs> As someone trying to learn another language, it was very relatable and uh, and charming to me. So I liked it. Is, is that all you wanted to say about Choco Pro for now? Yeah, that's all. That's all I have for now. They have a show coming up in two days, um, which will be their season. They operate in season, so it will be their season two um, finale, which will feature a main event of Lulu Pencil um, going up against Emmy Pencil. So the Pencil Army explodes. That will be a big match. Lulu Pencil searching for her big first victory going up against her teammate. Emmy pencil. Okay. So I'm trying not to make this a two and a half hour show. So I'm trying to think about the best way to go here. Let's talk about Tokyo Joshi Pro. I Great. promised it up top. So let's do it. 
they had a Coracon show on July 23rd. Uh, let's just hit the, the, the high points of this show. So a few matches that, that I like, some of the top matches. Um, let's see. Yuki Kamafuku versus Mina Shirakawa, which I thought was a fun match. Mina won. Good match. I uh, kind of feel like we've seen both of these people really improve in uh, in a vaguely short period of time. And they're kind of tied together in a way. So it was it was fun to watch them here. Yeah, I thought it was definitely by far the strongest match undercard. Um, had some moments that were surprisingly, again, very hard hitting. Some big slaps going on in the middle of the match. Um, but yeah, I thought I thought it was really good. And as I said, the highlight... Sort of if you watch anything from the undercard, if you're just sort of picking and choosing, that would be definitely the match to watch. What did you think of, of Yuna Manase's, uh last match here? Um, I, thought, I thought it was fine. Um, I don't really have that much to say. You know, it's a, it's a bit weird. I guess we'll wrap this into talking about this, but it was announced that she, uh, Yuna Manase, has joined Gambare Pro. Um, so there was a lot of speculation of, whether she would go to another Joshi company, as we talked about last time, maybe in Catch the Wave, the Catch the Wave tournament. Doesn't look like that's happening. It looks like she's going to Gambare. Um, so not sure what that will look like there. But yeah, I thought it was good. Obviously, it had a lot of the big names, so it was fun as usual, but don't really have many more thoughts beyond that. All right, well, let's talk about the title match because I do have some thoughts on the title matches. Uh, tag title match. We saw, sorry, pulling up my notes here, uh, the champions, Miyu Watanabe and Rika Tatsumi, defeat the challengers Hyper Misao and Shoko Nakajima. So I thought this was a good match, and there was a lot going on. Like, <laughs> a lot happened during this match. And it, it, it brought to mind the fact that Tokyo Joshi Pro is a promotion that's really dependent on your personal investment in the characters. Uh, that makes it a really fun live promotion, especially. Uh, but also it plays into, if you listen to our last episode, I talked about a tag title match that really struggled for lack of uh, a, a strong face heel dynamic. And I thought on this show, in this match and in the title match, they did things that worked within that dynamic without making people explicitly faces and heels. Like here, I thought the, the champions had to overcome some heelish tactics of the challengers. They, they didn't really come across heelish, but they were traditionally heelish tactics. And so they had to overcome that, which made it for a, a compelling story in this title match, and I think made this a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought that the tag team title match was, to me, by far the best match on the show. I think I went, I think I might have gone three and three-quarter stars. I thought it was really fun. I mean, I think Miyu Watanabe and Rika Tatsumi are great tag champions. I think they're super talented and are getting better for me, especially Miyu. Um, and, you know, Hyper Masao, of course, is always always fun to have her in the ring, very unpredictable. Shoko, um, to, to me, is a wrestler who, you know, I don't know that she peaks that high for me, but she's someone who I know will go into a match and, you know, she will be good. Um, she may not really stand out to me, but she's not going to go in there and, you know, do poorly, have a bad match or anything like that. So I thought by far this was a lot of fun and the and the best match on the show. That's interesting. I, I liked the, 
the main event better, the, the Princess of Princess hmm. title match. So we had Yuka Sakazaki uh, defending her title, beating Yuki Aino. Uh, so this kind of also played into the same thing as I was saying, that it's like Yuka definitely isn't a heel. You know, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, but the match was worked in a way that, that Yuki Aino clearly worked from underneath. That's really all you need. I guess maybe I, I took it perhaps too far by saying you have to have faces, you have to have heels. It's just that you have to have the dynamic of someone overcoming something. That's pro wrestling. That's the whole deal, <laughs> you know, is somebody trying to overcome something to, to win a match. So I thought they did a great job of that here. And it's also, it's funny to see Yuka, funny but good, to see Yuka Sakazaki like obsessively going after body parts, like she's a killer, when she also is like wearing Aladdin, an Aladdin costume. <laughs> she's doing it, which is part of the, the charm and the joy of, of Tokyo Joshi Pro. But it also made me think, Maybe the only thing that works because of the dynamics of the promotion, maybe the only thing that works for this title is like a dominant champion, because that's a way to make it always seem in your title matches that you have that dynamic to always give somebody uh, the ability to work from underneath and really be trying to overcome somebody. That's why the Miyu Yamashita reign was so good, because she felt like she couldn't be beaten. And so you were always seeing people trying to prove they could get over that hump and they never could. And I thought you had that same, I've said dynamic like 30 times in this segment, but you had that same dynamic here. And for me, it became a, a very good match. Yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. I don't know that this is a, a disagreement for me because I think I'm approaching it. I think I think the way I'm thinking of it is slightly different than what you mentioned because I did think the Miyu Yamashita reign was very good and she was a very strong champion. I just don't know that there's... It feels like in Tokyo Joshi that there are so few credible champion candidates to me. And I think what hurt this match, I think there's a lot of, in the tag team title scene, there's a lot of people you can put together and go, oh, they could win. You know, I thought, you know, maybe Masao and Nakajima do win the titles. Um, but to me, like Yuki Aino, it, like I was like, oh, she's not going to win because Yuka... I don't think they're taking the title off Yuka. You know, of course, I don't know that 100%. Anything can happen. It just, to me, seems like there's a fine line between, okay, I'm a dominant champion, but you also have to have people who, when they say, okay, I'm getting a title shot, you can say, oh, they can, even if you think they're not going to win because so-and-so is going to remain the champion, there, to me, needs to be a sort of level of credibility is probably not the right word, but I need to have some sense of, oh, if this person won the title, even though I don't expect it, it would sort of make sense to me. Um, and I think there are a couple people in the company who have that. But of course, you can't have those people continuously challenging, making every title challenge. So I think that's probably why I enjoyed the tag team title match more than the main event, just because I think there's more of the sense of anything can happen as opposed to all of these champions who seem to be very, I'm going to dominate until we get to the one person who could beat me and they may beat me and they usually do beat, you know, beat the person. So I think that's probably why, probably why i I was a little bit opposite of you. Well, that makes sense. I, I do think that's maybe the only, as I said, maybe the only thing that works in that top title picture uh, based on how they've built the promotion. So you can either invert that somehow 
or uh, try to come up with another way to build more more credible challengers. But it's just, I think it's a promotion where you have a handful of people who are just clearly better than the others as workers, you know, more more trustworthy in the ring to have like a really good match. And then you have a lot of people who are raw, but getting a lot better. And so I think there's a time frame not that far down the road where you have a much better and more defined uh, top of the card picture. Uh, but I just think they're not there yet. I mean, this is a relatively new promotion still. So, you know, I think that's okay. Yeah. And I do think you're right. I think there's a number of people who down the line could be or will be credible challengers near the top of the card. And maybe it will be different. You know, we don't know what will happen in the future. Maybe they sign someone else. I don't know. Um, like they did with Natsumi Maki. Um, We'll see, but I agree with you there that I think the future, they definitely have a strong future in with this promotion. What about Jungle Kiona to Tokyo Joshi Pro? Hey, I mean, <laughs> it, it could, I, although you'd probably have to ramp up the, um, I guess you'd probably have to ramp back up the jungle aspect of the gimmick. Yes, I think probably so, but... Yeah, like that kind of jump, though, is interesting to me. The idea of a stardom to Tokyo Joshi Pro jump. And you could imagine somebody feeling squeezed out by all the new uh, people that they've signed to stardom and jumping over to the other big Joshi company and uh, making a splash. So I don't know. Something like that would be fun, at least for, for fans. Yeah, it'd certainly be interesting. It'd be interesting to see because we haven't really, you know, Natsumi Maki wrestled for stardom, but as a freelancer. So she wasn't really a full stardom talent, but we've never really seen, I mean, Yuna Manase wrestled for stardom, but that was sort of long ago. We haven't seen any sort of modern stardom person jump away from stardom to somewhere else like a Tokyo Joshi. All right. The big Tokyo Joshi pro news is that they announced the princess cup bracket, which is basically you know, most of the people in the promotion <laughs> are going to be in the tournament. So how do you want to talk about the Princess Cup? Yeah, so it is a uh, sort of strangely a 21-person tournament, um, maybe the only 21-person tournament, at least the only 21-person tournament I can think of, a very sort of unusual number. So there are a number of matches um, that are some people are getting buys into the second round. It was done via a blind pick. Um, they had envelopes with 21 numbers on them, and each wrestler came up and picked a number. So at least on its face, it looks like a um, – or it was presented as a random draw. You never know in wrestling whether it actually is or not. But um, we'll go with that. Some interesting matchups. Obviously, big names. Um, starts on August 8th with five matches, and the finals are – at the end of August at Shinjuku Face, um, we'll be covering them on this show, seeing what happens. It will be interesting to see who gets there. Um, obviously, Yuka Sakazaki in the tournament facing Nadoka Tenma in the first round on August 8th. It'll be interesting to see if she wins that match or if they knock her out quickly because she is the champion. Um, same with Miyu Yamashita, not the champion, but obviously a big name facing Raku in the first round on August 8th. And then if she were to win that, facing another up-up girl in Hikari Noah in the second round on the 10th. 
So a lot of interesting configurations here. A lot of people who I could see, you know, Natsumi Maki could make it far. They could go with someone like uh, Mizuki. They could go, you know, Hikari Noah could go far. There's a lot of people here who could go quite far, and it'll be interesting to see who makes it into the finals and wins the tournament. I guess we really didn't talk about, like, who we expect or who we think might win the five-star Grand Prix. But I guess it'll still be early in the tournament for our next episode. So yeah, and they haven't. An, yeah, and they haven't announced the blocks yet um, right. either. So I think once the blocks come out, it will be a little bit. It'll be a little bit easier to look and see, you know, who's going up against who, who we think could go into the finals and face each other. So that that I think will give us a little bit of a clue as to who's got a chance to go go to the finals and and win. All right. Uh, Yumi also, our other Tokyo Joshi Pro News is, is retiring from wrestling. Yeah, she was very, um, the announcement said she's been very busy with schoolwork and she has had some issues, um, you know, doing both. So she is going to be done with wrestling to focus on school, which is a bit of a bummer. Um, she seemed to have a lot of potential. Obviously she was very tall. She's five nine, which in the world of Joshi is might as well be seven feet. Um, so seemed to have some potential, but, you know, it's good that she's retiring on her own accord, choosing to focus on her schoolwork, which, of course, we all know is very important. Eh, not that important. Trust me, Yumi. <laughs> wrestling has done more in my life than schoolwork, and I'm not even a wrestler. So, Kara uh, from Twitter, if you know Kara from Twitter, uh, was joking recently in a in a group chat that tall Saya is 5'6". <laughs> yes. yes. As I responded, thank you for acknowledging that 5'6 is tall. I appreciate that uh, as a 5'6 person. Uh, but yeah, it's funny. Just like, you know, Himika Arita is like not that big. <laughs> yes. And her nickname is Jumbo and she is 5'8. <laughs> right. But yeah, in that world, uh, it works. So which that's what's we talked about this, didn't we, on the last episode? Or maybe I talked about this somewhere else. But Riho, like in Joshi doesn't really seem notably small. And then in AEW, sometimes she would just look really small. Yeah, she's very small. It was funny because when Himika first announced that she was leaving Actress Girls, I I was just sort of goofing off and I said, oh, she could go to AEW and be like the heater for uh, Britt Baker, like a <laughs> Wardlow, like, like Britt Baker's Wardlow, except then I realized they're the same exact height. They're both 5'8". <laughs> Wardlow's 5'8"? No, um, Himika and uh, Britt Baker. Oh, Britt Baker. <laughs> yeah, she seems yes. pretty tall. That's fine. But I'm like, you don't think about it because you see her in the world of Joshi and you're like, whoa, she's much taller than everyone. It's like she basketball players. You look at basketball players, you're like, oh, they're all normal size. And then you meet them in real life and it's like, oh, they're 6'10". Oh, yeah. Like you go to like an NBA game, you sit down close. And it's like, oh, these dudes are fucking huge. You know? Yeah. You, you get the sense. Or if you talk about basketball a lot, you'll say dumb things like, Ah, he's pretty small, really, because he's a six-two point guard or whatever. You're like, oh wait, that's really big to me, anyway. I'm five-six, as I said. So, okay, uh, and I guess I missed this note earlier, and I missed this generally. But Itsuki Hoshino announced that she's retiring. Yeah, she did. I I saw it today on Twitter, so I quickly added it to this. Um, they did a general announcement because um, Hanan and Ruaka are returning on August twenty-second, but it was announced that. Hoshino is retiring. I think it was another school work related um, retirement. It's not an injury 
or anything like that. But yes, that was that was announced last night at the Corican. They had a tweet about it. I think the Stardom English account had a tweet about it. She honestly never seemed that like comfortable as a wrestler. <laughs> so, I mean, obviously it would have been better to keep trying and, and see what happens, but uh, maybe she will feel less stressed if she is no longer wrestling. Yeah, and that's the way it happens, not only in the world of Joshi, but also in the larger world of wrestling. You start training, you realize, you know, it's not for you, and you leave. And that's what happens, and that's why they train so many people, why they have so many rookies, because, you know, you got to play the numbers game. Okay, that exhausts the the wrestling that I've seen. Are there some other things from the last two weeks that you want to talk about? Yeah, so I'll just run through some things very briefly. Um, Oz Academy, we talked about they had the show on July 12th. We mentioned, I mentioned it last episode. It did air on Nico Pro. Um, not much to say except the main event, a fun main event with Shuri tagging with Sekigun. Um, they didn't quite get along. Um, didn't go well. I thought for a moment maybe they were going to have her join, but that didn't happen. Uh, the match ended with her getting smacked in the face with Aja Kong's uh, trash can, uh, which was quite humorous. Usually she hits people on the top of the head with it, but she hit Siri uh, square in the face, uh, which was quite funny. Uh, Wave sort of unexpectedly streamed a show on YouTube on July 23rd that had a Marvelous versus Wave I think it's a gauntlet match. I haven't watched it yet, and actually they took it down off of YouTube for some reason. I'm not really sure why, um, but I'm going to try and catch that because they've been doing this Wave versus Marvelous sort of friendly competition, and this is just another aspect of that. Diana streamed another show. Um, they've been really fun. This one was a Crisis produced show. Crisis is the unit in Diana started with a Madeline versus Megumi Yabashita MMA rules match, which was super fun, a little bit good change of pace. And then the main event was Ayako Sato versus Asuka, which I thought was super fun. Um, I went about three and a half stars. Um, something worth checking out. Definitely check out Diana. As I always say, I'm hoping that they stream more and more shows. So check that out. So they get the numbers and they continue to stream the shows. Um, Ice Ribbon had their Corican Hall show, which unfortunately I haven't gotten around to. A lot of big news. Uh, Suzu Suzuki is the new number one contender for the Ice Infinity title. That will happen at their big show in two weeks. Um, Cherry retained the WUW title, uh, the underground title, which she won from Thekla. And Makoto returns a uh, sort of Ice Ribbon original. She was with Ice Ribbon for many years before leaving to go to Smash uh, to Jury's promotion. And so she is returning to challenge for the IW Juku title. So that should be a lot of fun. That's going to be on the 8-9 show, which we will definitely be covering uh, for our next episode. Uh, Pure J had a show um, just a few hours ago. Um, Hanako Nakamori versus Leon title match. There was a title change. Haven't seen it yet. I don't know whether it will go up on Nico or on their streaming service, but a title match, um, a title change, which is definitely going to be something to look out for. And then Wave continuing the Hero A retirement tour. Um, they did a show today as well. 
hasn't gone up anywhere yet. Although Wave has been uploading a lot of their shows to their YouTube channel. So definitely a YouTube channel worth subscribing to. Uh, two matches for her facing Sonoko Kato, Hiroe versus Sonoko Kato, and versus Toshi Uematsu with Mio Shirai as the ref. Uh, that sounds super fun. Haven't seen a Toshi Uematsu match in quite a while. So hopefully that will go up on their YouTube soon. All right. Upcoming show. That was basically the Spark Notes segment, by the way, folks, if you're keeping score at home. Upcoming shows. I think we've already covered Stardom's uh, upcoming shows. We'll, we'll be talking about the Five Star Grand Prix next time. We talked about the Princess Cup. Sendai Girls is going to be back on August 2nd. Uh, they're running a show with a six-person tag main event. Uh, featuring Meiko Satomura, Dash Chisako, and Chiro Hashimoto. That Ice Ribbon uh, show on August 9th that Taylor just mentioned at Yokohama Cultural Gymnasium. Do you want to run down the card here? Yeah, so lots of title matches. Uh, tag title match, the drop kickers of Sakushi and Tsukasa Fujimoto going up against two-thirds of the Frank sisters in Kurumi Hiragi and Mochi Miyagi. Um, as I mentioned, the IWGQ title. Hamako Hoshi versus the returning Makoto. Uh, the UWU, the WUW uh, <laughs> title. Did I just say that? I said that backwards? But, um, well, you also wrote it that way, which I don't know. I also did write it that way. Before the show, I suggested they should rebrand this as the UWU title. And it appears to have stuck in your brain, I guess. It, it, it influenced me, yes. But it will be Cherry going up against Uno Matsuya. That has sort of become the grappling title of Ice Ribbon. It came um, with Thekla. She was the original champion. A new title, which was meant to be decided many months ago, but has been waiting until this moment. Risa Sarah versus Rina Yamashita for the new Fantast Ice title um then Tehanma versus Ram Kaichao versus Chon Shiru for the triangle ribbon title and finally the main event as i mentioned a rematch of a match from just a few months ago Maya Yukihi versus Suzu Suzuki for the Ice Infinity title one to definitely look out for i was expecting Suzu to win the title in their last um encounter so I think there's a good chance that this on this big show, um, Ice, one of Ice Ribbon's biggest shows of the year, that this may be the moment where Suzu Suzuki becomes the new Ice Infinity champion. Um, also happening, there will be a Gake Pro show on August 2nd with Chris Brooks and Miyako Matsumoto versus Drew Parker and Rina Yamashita. Those shows are always crazy, a lot of fun. Um, don't know where it's airing yet, but definitely one to keep your eyes out for. Diana has a show on August 2nd as well. Um, I don't know. They announced today that the show has sold out, so I'm hoping that they also put the show on YouTube. Um, the main event is Kari Ito, Miyuki Takase, and Naname versus Jaguar Yakota, Ayako Sato, and Madeline. That should be a fun match. And then finally, Actress Girls. Has a show coming up on eight uh, on August second as well, uh, so they're coming back. The main event. Uh, I tried a Twitter tr translate and I was a bit confused uh, because they described it as a dugout match, 
um, which I'm not sure what that is, but it's some sort of team-based match, and the winning team will have the honor of being the center of the opening dance at Actress Girl's Corican Hall show on August 14th. So that is everything coming up as we've been talking about, as we've mentioned. There's a lot going on in the world of Joshi. A stipulation made for Taylor Mainberg. You, you win, you get to be part of a dance. Yes, you win, you get to be part. As, you know, Actress Girls knows, the way to success is dance-based wrestling. <laughs> okay, well, next week, or next episode, two weeks from now, we'll definitely be talking Five Star Grand Prix, Princess Cup, Ice Ribbon, August Night Show, and then as much of this other stuff as we can fit in. But that's the stuff I feel confident we'll be talking about. Uh, if you yep. want to reach out to us before then, find us on Twitter at JBombAudio. I'm at Aaron Like the Car. Taylor is at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to the show, please. Give us a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. If you want to support the show, you can do so at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. Make sure you read the Hustlers and Heat Seekers articles that Taylor was a part of, five-part series, where he talked about a lot of uh, young Joshi wrestlers. And most importantly, watch your Joshi and come back next episode. So I think that's it. Uh, bye. Bye-bye.